This is episode 98 with one of the lead running coaches of Rogue Running, a massive running group in Austin, Texas, Mr. Chris McClung. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fitzgerald, and today I have another coach on with me today to talk about the finer art of coaching endurance runners to big personal bests. This is an excerpt from the full interview, which is available to Team Strength Running members, our group coaching program. Learn more about the team at strengthrunning.com TSR. Our guest today is Chris McClung. He's been coaching for over a decade and is now one of the lead coaches for Rogue Running, a group based in Austin. He's also the host of the Running Rogue podcast and leads running expeditions to faraway lands like Morocco. A big reason why I wanted to talk with Chris is because he truly understands how to coach runners. He's not going to tell you that you can run faster by running less. And he understands how valuable a community can be to achieving your loftiest running goals. Because let's face it, we all have bad days and the support from a network of peers, not to mention the advice and guidance of a coach, can make all the difference. This episode is also sponsored by Inside Tracker, a company that helps endurance athletes optimize their training after taking a simple blood test. Figure out if you're over or under training so you can train more effectively. Use code STRENGTHRUNNING, no space, to save 10% on any of their blood testing kits at insidetracker.com. Okay, everyone, this is a very informative and fun discussion among two running coaches. I hope you enjoy it. Please welcome my guest, Mr. Chris McClung. Chris, I'm excited to speak with you. You are one of the coaches and early members of Rogue Running, a group in Austin, Texas, that's doing some really great things for the running community. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Jason. Excited. This is, my, I think, my first time to be a guest on someone else's podcast. So that's exciting. <laughs> well, you know what? I love having podcasters on. I feel like we're uh, kindred spirits here, and we're both almost like uh, radio jockeys here. So <laughs> hopefully we'll have a great, great <laughs> yes. conversation. Yes. So tell me about Rogue Running, because this is a group that uh, has caught my eye. And over the last 15 years or so, uh, this group has really grown tremendously. So tell me, what do you guys do? So we started in 2004, so we are actually 15 years old in August, so you've got, you got that number right. And basically, the, the short version is we train adult athletes for all levels of races, from beginners who are trying to do their first 5K to marathoners, and we even have a trail ultra marathon group. And so our, our mission is to help people get ready to smash big goals, and we've done that from the beginning. We have other, we have our we have our foot in other businesses as well, but that's our primary thing is being coaches to adult athletes, and our mission has always been to bring elite athlete training principles to the everyday athlete, believing that they can be challenged and tested in the same way, and the paces might be different, the volume might be different, and obviously everybody has to start at their own starting point. But if you challenge people and you don't dumb down the training for them, then they're able to do things that they never thought possible, which not only is really awesome to see somebody have that experience, but you, we find that that then accesses potential life change and confidence and self-esteem growth and potential maybe in other areas of their life that unlocks more than just a PR. And you do that with 
hundreds of other people that are also on the same journey and it does create this bond that is really powerful. So that's what we've been doing for 15 years and we've never really compromised on it. You know, we've had and we've had all levels of athletes from from an Olympian who competed in Rio in the steeplechase to everyday runners that are doing their first marathon and we will challenge them with exactly the same concepts and sometimes even the exact same workouts at different paces. Yeah, I love it. And one of the reasons why I wanted to talk with you of the many reasons was because that uh, we have very similar philosophies. And that is is exactly what I try to do at strength running, bring many of the training and coaching principles that elite athletes abide by, and scale them down to fit recreational runners because you know of course you know not everyone's going to be able to run 100 or 120 miles a week but the principle that running more and higher mileage is going to get you to be able to express your true potential is a true one and uh i think (laughs) i think if you're a a run less run faster guy we we might not be having this conversation (laughs) um you know you guys don't don't get me started on that jason (laughs) oh i love it maybe we can go that'll be a rant for the ages uh, yeah, let's, <laughs> let's dive into that in a little bit too. Um, cause yeah. I do want to talk more about the training philosophy that really guides, uh, your group, but it seems like your group is quite large. How many coaches do you have at this point? So, so now it, it's, we're pretty big. We have 800 athletes in Austin and with, we have 40 coaches on our team, 20 to 25 operating actively coaching at any one time, depending on what's going on. And, and then, but now we also have 300 athletes in Dallas and we have about 12 coaches there leading that, those groups. And then we have now a couple of coaches in New York. We've started a small group in New York as we're expanding through a partnership we have with Jack rabbit, the retailer, and we'll be starting in Houston in, in May. And we have some coaches that we're training there. So it's, it's pretty big. Um, but we do, we are a group based program. We do have some virtual one-to-one coaching now that we're just starting. But for the most part, one of our core training principles is that you're better and stronger with other people, not just because of the accountability, but also because it allows you to find things in your running and in your fitness that you can't find on your own. So, so yeah, it's pretty big. It's pretty nuts. You know, we like to say every Saturday here where we put on our long runs, it's kind of like putting on a race because we'll have three to 400 people going out for anywhere from three to 20 miles pretty much every weekend, just like, you know, you might have in a small 5K. What I think is really interesting, too, about what you guys do is that you have different programs for different runners, different goals that they may might have. And so whether you're an ultra marathoner or a trail runner, uh, there's, there's really something for everyone. Can you talk about the different, uh, training approaches that you might have for these different groups and, and the way that they're kind of focused on different types of goals? Sure. I mean, the, at the heart of it, the core principles are the same. We're very much a Lydiard based, system in that, as you said, we believe miles matter and running more from whatever their starting point for most people is going to be a path that would be fruitful. Obviously there's a balance for everybody, but miles and volume matter. And, and so then the question becomes, and, and we ask this ourselves all the time, what does the race require or what does in, in some cases, what does the goal require for a given athlete? And so with those core principles of miles matter, recovery is king, effort-based running is a big part of what we do as well versus trying to be too rigid about paces, 
periodization, obviously a big part of the linear philosophy. All of those core principles apply, and then it just comes becomes a matter of what does someone's individual goal or race require. If somebody's training for their first 5K, then we're going to focus their journey on that aerobic development side where we're taking them from whatever their starting point may be, which may be simply being able to walk 20 minutes and then trying to, to build their easy easy effort volume, whether that be walking or walk running, until they can cover the distance of a 5K. Then all the way up to a marathoner, who obviously also aerobic development matters, but the mileage is going to be scaled differently. The the composition of the week is going to be scaled differently. And then, of course, you're, in, you're implementing speed work in a periodized way to help supplement what they're doing. And then again, the same concept is applying on the trail. Same principles, but workouts are obviously structured for whatever someone's journey is. And then in those cases, you then have to start to look at other things about what does their specific goal require if they're doing a an ultra in the mountains with a bunch of vertical gain and loss, then they're going to need to obviously incorporate hill work in a way that someone who's just doing a Chicago marathon may not need to. So, so that becomes the lens that colors the differences in our groups is what is the goal and what does the race require? I love this because you're really kind of abiding by the philosophy that fitness is fitness. And then whatever your goal race might be, whether it's a 5k or a marathon, you're really just tweaking the principles to fit that goal race. Because at the end of the day, if you think about it, whether you're getting ready for a 5k, a 10k, a half marathon, whether or not those races are on the road or on the track or on the trail, the fundamental principles that guide the training aren't that different at the end of the day. And really, right. you're just tweaking some of the focus, some of where you're putting your uh, focus and energy and priorities from a training perspective. And I really like that because, you know, when I look back at my college running career, the guys who are racing the 1500 and the guys who are racing the 10K, very different events, their workouts were a little different, but everything else in the training was almost exactly the same. And it really just goes to show that if you are a good runner and that just means you're accomplishing, you know, whatever uh, is good for you personally, then that's really transferable among multiple distances. Yeah. And you just have to put in a little bit of specifics and you'll get there. Right. Yeah. I mean, Lydia showed that with the range of athletes he coached from 1500 to marathon. One of my favorite examples in the modern day is Nick Willis, who grew up building miles and volume under Ron Warhurst at the University of Michigan, two-time Olympian as a 1,500-meter runner and miler. And he does 18-mile long runs pretty much every week as a miler. And because he understands the importance of that aerobic development and using strength to tap into his raw speed at the end of a race when he needs it. Yeah, I'm glad you used that example because that's one that I use frequently too. The fact yeah. that Nick Willis, a miler, a 1,500-meter specialist, is doing 18-mile long runs. And for a lot of runners, that's very surprising. They're like, well, why would yeah. I ever have to run a long run that most runners are only doing for marathon training for the mile? Well, it's because endurance is a good thing. And <laughs> theoretically, yeah. it, can always be, it can always be improved. Now, you yep. have mentioned Lydiard a couple times now, and yep. can you can you give us the, the, the two-minute Cliff Notes version on the Lydiard training philosophy for those listeners who aren't familiar sure. with it? So Arthur Lydiard was a New Zealander in the 50s who basically became what is now considered the father of modern distance coaching because of methods that began really by experimenting on himself. He was an older athlete and just 
decided what if he just started trying different things on himself and and that included doing some things like running 200 miles a week what would happen if i run 200 miles in a week is that going to kill me or is it going to make me fitter is it going to break me down and and what he found through that experimentation with his own body is that he got fitter and faster even though he was running a lot of miles at what he could only do at easy easy efforts and so his philosophy at the very simplest in the very simplest terms is that aerobic development aerobic capacity is king when it comes to training for any distance now obviously there are nuances to that in that you need to then scale your aerobic development in a way that that fits the build towards your peak and and so he also a big part of his develop uh, his programming and, and methodology is this idea of periodization where you're working different parts of the aerobic system as you progress through a training cycle towards a peak but when he was preparing athletes for the Olympics in the 50s, he might have a 1,500-meter athlete and a marathoner both training for the same Olympics that would do almost identical training until those final four to six weeks before their events where they really got into specific work. And they won medals. <laughs> and then everybody started wondering, what the hell is going on down in New Zealand, which hadn't been a distance-running powerhouse. And from there... He developed other disciples, obviously, and now pretty much any elite athlete is using some of those principles at their core. And obviously, we've learned and developed and we, we found more nuance in some of those principles in the modern day, but the basics are still there. Yeah, and you can see this in the history of the training of elite runners where, you know, this kind of aerobic oriented training really became popular in, you know, I'd say maybe the the 60s and 70s in the United States. You see, uh, you know, Bill Rogers winning the New York City Marathon and Boston Marathons with uh, mostly a very high mileage program, a lot of aerobic workouts, but not a lot of what we would consider traditional speed work. And then we got away from that in the 90s and U.S. distance running pretty much tanked. And now we have a little bit more of a of a, of a nuanced and uh, better take on, I think, the Lydiard system, which is, yeah. you know, we're definitely going to do all that aerobic work. But then we're going to layer in uh, a healthy and appropriate amount of speed. And I, and I love the the balance between everything. Um, yeah. And, you know, community is a really big piece of what you guys do at Rogue Running. What what role does community play in, in your group? Because as far as I understand it, all of your programs, for the most part, are group-based. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we have some virtual one-to-one coaching now, but 95 to 98% of what we do is all group-based, which is very intentional in our model as i mentioned earlier it's a part of the accountability but also we believe that you can tap into fitness with other people that you can't get to on your own so community is huge and i liked recently we've started using the word family which which is probably a better a better description for it community in some ways i think is an overused word now in in the experiential fitness world but really it's about developing that family and people ask me all the time, well, how do you do that? Where does that come from? And it's hard to put your finger on that point. You know, it's sort of like we know what we're doing now to build it, but we don't have a formula or a recipe. And But I think there are components you can point to. You know, certainly the camaraderie around rigorous training is a big component. 
And when you're challenging yourself in the ways that we challenge people, you can't help but bond because you're suffering together. You know, I had a hill workout that I led this morning with the group I coach on Wednesday mornings, and it was it was a kick in the ass. I mean, we're we're doing hill repeats straight into two miles tempos, and it was tough. With very little rest, and when when that's when you're doing that at 5:30 a.m., you can't help but bond with the people around you. So I think that's a central piece of it. I also think that when you're doing long runs in the summer in Austin, when it's 80 degrees and 85% or 95% humidity and it's 5:30 AM or 6 AM, because that's when you have to start to get it done before it gets too hot. There are no masks at that hour when you have 20 miles in front of you, you can't, you can't wear a mask. I and mean, maybe if you could, you can't wear it for very long. So by the time you get to that first hour, second hour, third hour of those runs, you're pretty stripped down. And then people are interacting with each other in ways that you just can't really create anymore in our normal ways of doing things with our technology and our connection and things, seeing things through screens. And so it's just this raw, rawness, this authenticity that bonds people and it bonds people across all different backgrounds, perspectives, political ideologies. And it's, so it's just, it's, it's really, really powerful. And if you keep doing that week in and week out and you do it consistently, people are connected to it. And then they invite a friend who gets connected to it and then it just builds. I'm really glad that you mentioned the camaraderie among runners when it comes to hard workouts and things like that, because you're absolutely right that it's it's such a transformative kind of a presence to be around other runners when you're trying to accomplish something that's very difficult. And it's really hard to explain to runners who've never run in a group for a big workout or anything like that. You know, for someone yeah. like me, you know, I ran cross country and track in high school and college. And so, you know, that's how I learned to run. And in hindsight, looking back on, you know, the workouts that I was able to do and the races I ran, I never would have done it if I didn't have those teammates around me to push right. me, to be there for me, to give me a little bit of a nudge. And also, you know, there so that I can nudge them and give them a little bit support when they need it. And so yeah. it, it, it's so powerful. And if there's any runner who's, you know, listening to this and they're unsure about joining a group or going for a run with, uh, you know, a group of runners, it is such a positive experience. And if you can find a group that is supportive and that will be there for you, it's, it's just hands down a night and day kind of experience. Yeah. I mean, it's, I like to say it's only a solo sport if you let it be. And, and for whatever reason, long distance running has been painted that way, but it really doesn't have to be. There's groups anywhere you can possibly think of training. And if you don't have one, you, you can also connect to virtual groups. I mean, we have a virtual group through my podcast now that a lot of them, for whatever reason, have to train on their own. A lot of it comes down to scheduling and or needing that flexibility to train solo when they can, but they're able to connect through a virtual platform that then builds bonds that also strangely creates accountability through through the interwebs that is really powerful. So even if you can't find that physical in-person group, I think you can find a virtual group and there are others like McMillan who have that, that you can connect to people and you'll get more out of yourself if you if you approach it that way. And so highly, highly, highly agree with you on that front. Yeah, it's it's just, I really just can't say enough good things about it. And this is a big cornerstone of your entire training philosophy, which uh, I think is 
really beneficial for your runners because, you know, it's, it's one of the things that can give you big boosts in performance. Um, tell me more about your training philosophy. You've said a couple things. You've hinted at some things over the last 20 minutes or so, things like miles matter. And, yeah. uh, you said something very interesting earlier too, about, um, you know, workouts. What, what are some of the big principles that guide how you guys think about running? So we've touched on miles matter. That's probably the the most fundamental, which is that volume matters. And in 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 our day and age, you mentioned run less, run faster. I think earlier a little bit, we like to find life hacks and shortcuts to get what we want, whether it be a more efficient life, or whether it be a happier life, or whether it be a faster way to fitness or weight loss or whatever it may be. And there just are no shortcuts to being your your best fitness you know some people might do well on a run less run faster program but i would argue that that they're still leaving potential on the table or maybe they're shortcutting to a result which won't have sustainable long-term ability to continue to improve and so yeah you might see short quick gains, but then you're not seeing the sustained gains because you haven't built that proper foundation. So it starts with easy running, easy mileage, building the aerobic system. I like to talk about your aerobic system like a car engine. People, regardless of when you start, you start out with a with a small lawnmower-sized engine, if we're, if we're going with the analogy, which is that that's the aerobic system. But we want to build you to being a V8. And in order to build the size of your engine... We have to run easy miles and more of them from whatever your starting point might be. And that's fundamental work that you can't shortcut, even if it doesn't sound sexy. People like to shortcut it, and they like to think, well, I have to run faster to get faster. And while that's true on the fringes, on the, on the nuances of, of the, the key principles, it's not true foundationally. Because what you're doing when you try to run too fast too much is you're actually shortcutting that engine building process. And so what I like to ask people is, would you rather have a really revved up lawnmower engine or a not so revved up V8? Because I promise you the V8 is going to crush your John Deere anytime. So miles matter, that's sort of point one. You've got to do the volume. And again, that's from whatever your starting point may be, just more than you're doing now and doing it mostly at easy paces. The second core principle is this stress and rest balance. We've got to make sure that we're balancing the stresses that we put on our body, both with intensity and volume, with the appropriate recovery. Recovery in a lot of American-style mythology means doing nothing, which I like to remind people is not the case. Most recovery is very active, whether it be an easy run at, at really easy paces or some other form of active recovery from cross-training to ancillary strength building work, potentially even foam rolling to get the blood moving in that way. Recovery is a very active process, but you have to balance the stress with the rest in order to actually get faster. Otherwise, you will end up in a deadly cycle of injury that will not help allow you to build fitness. We also believe in periodization, as we alluded to earlier, which is that if you're building to a peak race, you have to to tailor your workouts in periods so that you're working the right parts of the aerobic system as you approach that that peak race. We do believe that year-round you should be working what we like to call speed development or efficiency work. I think you posted something about strides. 
today on Twitter, which is a critical part, in my opinion, of year-round speed development and form and efficiency improvement. But beyond that, your your workouts should be tailored based on where you are relative to your target race. I mentioned effort-based running earlier. A lot of us like to get really dialed into our garments and be, become slave to the paces that it says, when what really matters when it comes to developing the aerobic system and the different parts of the aerobic system is how you feel. And so if you can disconnect from your Garmin and really focus on what effort zones you should be in in order to get the right benefit uh, to develop the right part of the system in that given day or workout, then you've dialed into some magic that people that are slave to their watches haven't yet dialed into. So that's, that's a bunch of them. There's probably more if I were to keep going, but those are the core ones. You have one training principle that's just fucking run. And I love that (laughs) because it's, you know, do the work. It's be consistent, no excuses. And it's this kind of shot of honesty that I really appreciate that, you know, (laughs) it doesn't matter if it's windy or cold or raining, you know, your competitors are out there training and, uh, (laughs) you know, you have a decision to make. Yes, just fucking run. People don't like it sometimes when we say that. But, uh, you know, I like to only use the F word when it means something. And in this case, it really does, because there's always a reason not to run, whether it be weather, whether it be stress, whether it be a lack of sleep, whether it be your running partner bailed on you and sent you a text and said, hey, I can't make it. There's always a reason not to run. And so if you give yourself no reasons not to run, then there's never an excuse to get out the door and And that's the way we operate. I can tell you here at Rogue, in 15 years of doing what we've been doing, I can count on one hand the number of long runs that has been canceled for any reason. I can tell you, I can count on one finger the number of workouts that I've personally canceled. And sometimes the weather's crazy, but you show up and you do the work anyway. And sometimes if it's lightning and we have to delay, we'll delay or... We'll do a workout inside if we have to, if, if that just means doing some strength and mobility work inside. We're doing something. We're getting some work done regardless. If it's on the calendar, do something. <laughs> now, Chris, what's your background as a runner? Because listening to you talk about training, it sounds like you're a college cross-country or track coach or, or at least <laughs> – were a runner in a college program because you just have a really excellent understanding of training theory and, and what goes into training runners. So tell us more about your background. Yeah, sure. I, so I was not a runner growing up except that I played soccer. I mean, that was, that was my primary sport growing up and I played it at the highest levels in club growing up in the Dallas Fort Worth area. And, and that was, that was my thing. And, but, and I didn't, I honestly, I had, I didn't, I'd like to have run, cross country in high school but my my high school team didn't even have or my high school track team didn't even have cross country or really have anybody training for the distances and so while there may have been that option if I'd kind of shoehorn myself in it wasn't something that was really done in in where I grew up and so I just really wasn't that exposed to running as a sport I did, you know if it, if the opportunity had been more readily available to me I probably would have tapped into it but for me running was punishment you know I, I remember one of my college, uh, one of my club soccer coaches, and I played defense and center back. And he, for one season, because we were slacking on some of our fundamental defensive principles, he would make us run a mile for every goal we gave up. And so I remember practices in that season where all we did was run, because 
because we gave up too many goals. And so for me, a lot of it was running was kind of punishment. And obviously I was doing a lot of it, but I didn't really think of it that way. And I didn't get into running myself until college when I had a college roommate who had run cross country in high school, wasn't doing it in college, but was still running and had started to do some road races and things like that. And he's like, Hey, come out. There's a 10 K I'm training for. Why don't you come out for some runs with me? And, and I did it sort of on a whim just because I was a, but you know, he and I were buddies and fortunately I'd had 15 plus years of aerobic development on the soccer field. And so I could hang with him fairly well. And so he kind of got me into it. And then I did my first 10 K as a, I think I was a junior in, in college on the roads in Houston, the rodeo run. And it wasn't quote unquote fast by any definition, but I really loved it. And, and from there I kind of fell into, fell into it as a new competitive outlet cause I wasn't playing soccer anymore. I had to run a marathon, a single marathon growing up, and I'd, I'd seen that and always kind of thought the marathon would be cool in the back of my mind because my dad had set that example. And so I did, after I did that 10K, I started training for a marathon right away, and I got I got a stress fracture. because <laughs> I This story took a turn yeah, I was not expecting. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't, because I didn't know what I was doing. I just, you know, I was a soccer player, and a lot of what we did was intense. And I just thought faster is better, and that's how you got fit. And because I was also somebody who knew how to push himself on the soccer field, I was pushing myself similarly in running and didn't have any balance in terms of that stress and rest cycle. So I had got a tibial stress fracture that took me out of the race. And I was training for Chicago in 2001 and couldn't do the race. Ended up re-injuring that stress fracture a couple of times because I came back too soon and wasn't patient enough with it. And it took me out. Eventually, I had to take three months completely off after several starts and stops and I was so frustrated and annoyed because I'd found the sport. I was falling in love with it, was excited about that first marathon and then couldn't do it. And my buddy who'd got me into running, he was able to do it. And so watching that happen and him do his first marathon was, was tough. And so during that time I became obsessed with, with coaching curriculum and books on coaching and the elite, uh, elite level running and what they were doing to be their best selves because I just knew that this wasn't going to happen to me again, that I wasn't going to end up on the sidelines again. And so I would sit in Barnes and Noble at the time when you could sit there and just read all day and not pay for the books. I would literally read book after book sitting probably for four to six hour stretches, just reading. I'd go to the library. I would pick whatever book I could find there. And so I got into reading books like advanced marathoning. I read running with the buffaloes, which you know, while it's not a training book, has a lot of training principles in it from the great Mark Wetmore. I read Jack Daniel's running formula, basically anything and everything I could find and became a student of the sport, basically self-taught and and then got back into it myself, coaching myself, just trying to figure out how it worked in my own world. And then gradually started coaching friends and and in larger groups. And I was uh, in a grad, grad school program in 2005 and coached a big group of my classmates there for a 10K. That was my first group to coach. And then it, from there, it evolved to more. And eventually, you know, I got involved at Rogue in 2009, basically buying into the to Rogue at that time. And fortunately, Rogue, having already started, had similar principles as to what I developed on my own. And then it just kind of grew from there as I through now through this vehicle had more opportunity to put those skills to work. And 
you know, now I've, I mean, I've coached hundreds of athletes, mostly adult athletes for marathon distance and, and I love it. And it's, you know, if, if you couldn't tell, it's a passion of mine. So now I'm also still a voracious reader of anything I can find on the topic. Yeah, the, you're you're a student of the sport, and I'm sitting here looking at my running bookshelf, and, and <laughs> we're on video, so you could probably see all the the books behind me. And and yep. uh, you seem to have read all the the great f- fundamental foundational books about running. If you had to choose your favorite book, what might it be? Ooh, that's really tough because I'm not a big favorite picker. If somebody asked me my favorite movie, I would I would not answer because I have I just I have a lot of favorites, I guess. But, you know, some of my favorites, um, from a training perspective, I think advanced marathoning is, and I think they have the third edition coming out soon. It, to me, is, is one of the best. I think it's, it's, it's dense enough, but it's not overwhelming. You know, I think for a lot of people, Jack Daniels running formula can be overwhelming. And I like the, the slightly leaner, more crystallized approach of Peter Fitznicker in that book. Other books, Bowerman and the Men of Oregon, I think I saw that on yourself behind yep. as you as you move to the side. That's one of my favorite nonfiction running books, just about the history of running. There's some training principles kind of sprinkled into that. Yeah, right there, right there uh, over your right shoulder. And so that's that's one of my favorites. I love The Perfect Mile, which is about Roger Bannister's approach or uh, you know, uh, goals to get the sub four mile. And there's just so much in that book that was fascinating about the story, the story of that approach, not just from Bannister's perspective, but from Santee's perspective and Landy's perspective and so forth. So it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of them. I love running with the Buffaloes, which I already mentioned. I had, I got the opportunity to have Chris Lear on my podcast last week, the author of that book. And that was just absolutely a fascinating discussion. So those are, those are some of my favorites, but I could go on. Those are also some of my favorites. Uh, I think Running with the Buffaloes was the book that I read in college as a cross-country runner. And so it was just such a uh, case study on collegiate cross-country running that I just got so into. And that's what really, I think, crystallized my passion, obsession, however you might label it, for the kind of coaching and training side of running, not just being immersed in it as an athlete, but then learning about, okay, what works, what doesn't work? Why are we doing this workout? And uh, I think reading as many books about training that you can, even some of these books like The Men of Oregon and Running with the Buffaloes that aren't specifically about the training, more about like the stories of these runners, uh, but you still learn so many great nuggets from these books. And the self-taught runners are going to be better runners. You know, I always like to say that (laughs) knowledge is a competitive advantage. And the more you know about training, the fewer mistakes you're going to make and the better, wiser decisions you're going to make about your training. And I think that's really going to make you uh, into a better runner. Now, Chris, it's hilarious that you are a soccer player turned runner because of your roommate, because I'm on the other end of that equation. I got my freshman year roommate into running. He was a soccer player. And because of all his experience with soccer, he ended up being a pretty good runner. And I remember getting on the track with him and him running like a 545 mile just with no training (laughs) because he was a pretty fit, you know, 21 year old guy. Uh, And now he's he's running marathons and (laughs) he's he's a runner now. So I, I take a lot of credit for that. Well, you should. And I always say, you know, for parents to talk to me about their kids and wanting to get them exposed to running, I tell them that's the best place to start. You know, I have two boys that are eight and 10 and 
And they're both into soccer, I think, because they actually love it and not because I'm forcing it upon them. I'm trying to be the right balance of, of parents there. But but it's the best way to develop the aerobic system, in my opinion. And I think I also credit it for my longevity in the sport, even though I did have that initial stress fracture just because I was stupid. I've, I've generally had pretty consistent training for the last 20 years. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that I developed – the neuromuscular system on the soccer field working in three dimensions in ways that you don't develop as a runner. And that has carried with me well. Right. There's a lot to be said about moving in all those different planes of motion as a soccer player and the strength and coordination and athleticism that it builds because running Look, after all, it's a very one-dimensional sport. You're really just running pretty much straight ahead as hard as you can go most of the time. And that doesn't build a lot of coordination and athleticism. And the skills you learn as a soccer player, I think, help with injury prevention and just making you into a a more well-rounded, holistic athlete that's able to run faster. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. I did want to make one comment there because obviously I played soccer growing up. I also played a lot of volleyball, interestingly, in college. I played club volleyball and did a lot of sand volleyball, which was also a, a dynamic, actually literally three-dimensional sport where you're doing a lot in the air as well. And and so I developed athleticism that way, which does carry with me, but I've lost a lot of it. Some of that's aging. Some of that's the fact that I don't do those things anymore. I primarily just run. And so there, I have had a, a, a realization and recognition recently as I'm getting older and needing to to tap back into some of that athleticism, I'm finding ways to bring it back in in small ways that allows me to to reawaken some of those skill sets and some of that athleticism that I had 20 years ago that I just now have let kind of die in a sense. And fortunately, I've got two boys playing soccer, so they they're helping me do that in ways that are fairly safe. But but I think that's important and. It's an important part of the balance of being a runner is just making sure that you don't become one dimensional. What are some things that you're doing now to reclaim some of that athleticism? Because this is something that I've written a lot about in the last year or so, talking about, um, you know, aspects of athleticism, talking about movement fluency and really getting away from just running. You know, so what are some things that you're doing to make yourself a more well-rounded athlete? So... I'll put, I point to three things right now and there's probably more to do, but one is just playing soccer with my sons. You know, I think just that idea of play in general is a lost art in our, in our world, even, even for them, you know, I mean, they're in practices three days a week and then they have games on the weekends. And so, and, and I was actually talking to one of the coaches who, who actually grew up in the Caribbean, who was saying, you know, the program we have in the U S for soccer is great, but what we don't have that they have in Brazil and in Europe is these kids just playing soccer with a ball that may not be fully inflated with, you know, pots from the street that they're using as goalposts and, and, you know, a driveway that might be their field. And so that idea of play, I think is really important just generally for a lot of reasons, but I'm just trying to get out there with them and expose them to play in a soccer sense where we just do it loosely, having fun together go into the field without really any purpose where they're not in a structured practice. And so being able to just move with them is one way. The second thing I'm doing, and I'm doing a season of trail training, which I haven't really done a lot of. I've done some trail races in the past, but it's always been primarily on the back of road road work. And so I'm training for a 50-mile ultra in August, which will be, which will be my first ultra. 
distance race. I've done some 30 Ks on the trail, but never longer. And so I'm spending about five to six months working the trail and doing all of the coordination work that's associated with that that requires moving in more than just one dimension. And then the third thing for me is some more power-oriented strength work, which hasn't really been a staple of my programming. I've done a lot of ton of body weight focus work, a ton of mobility work, more core-oriented work, but never real powerlifting with heavy weights, Olympic-style lifting, that kind of thing. And so that's something I'm starting to incorporate into my work a couple of times a week, working with a trainer who knows what he's doing on that. And and obviously, I recognize the benefit of that as a coach, and but as a runner, I haven't always made time for it. And so it's time for that. <laughs> yeah, that's like every runner's uh, kind of credo <laughs> there. I, I understand yeah. it's beneficial, but I just don't have time for it. <laughs> right. All right, Chris, this has been really fun for me. This is a fun conversation talking to another coach who, uh, in my opinion, knows his stuff. But what's next for you? you uh, gearing, you're gearing up for a 50-miler in August. Are you doing an expedition this year? Oh, man, not this year. You know, one thing that's hard with three kids is it's hard to get out of the country for 10 days and, and either <laughs> leave, your well. <laughs> wa- leave your wife that way or, or escape without them. Last year, my wife came with me, and so we made that work with the in-laws helping out and, them and my parents. But... But I'm not doing an expedition this year. We will probably be doing one next year, looking at going to probably Morocco, which is which was our original destination that I actually haven't been to myself. That country, I think, is underrated as a destination. And so that'll be on tap for next year. This year, doing the 50-mile ultra, that'll be my first ultra, as I mentioned. Doing that, I'm actually looking – I've signed up for and We'll be doing the Squamish 50-miler, which is north of Vancouver, between Vancouver and Whistler, it's got 11,000 feet of total gain and loss, which is uh, which I have to prepare for, and I'm not currently prepared for. So excited about that. I'll also be going to Europe this summer. I'm going to be in Europe for two weeks to actually watch the Women's World Cup. Uh, as a soccer fan, I'm super passionate about the women's sport, the women's game. So going to watch the U.S. play in France, which is the host uh, nation this year, taking my kids with me, which will be awesome. And I'll get to do some Alps, some running in the Alps, looking at a trail race in France that I'll be doing as a prep for Squamish. And then also be going to the Monaco Diamond League track meet, which on my birthday, which I'm super excited about. So those are some things this year. Beyond that, I'll be getting back to the roads and shooting for a marathon in February of next year to try to hopefully go after another PR looking at my hometown race here in Austin in February 2020. Well, you've got a well-planned out schedule. <laughs> I can tell you're a coach. <laughs> yeah, Chris, always thank- looking 18 months ahead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Chris, thanks for all you do for the running community and for taking some time today. I appreciate it. Of course. Thank you, Jason. And there we go. I really enjoyed this conversation and just love talking to bright coaches who are helping drive the running community forward. If you live in or near Austin, Texas, definitely check out roguerunning.com. And like I mentioned before, this is just an excerpt of my full conversation with Chris, which is part of a monthly interview series for the runners in our coaching program, Team Strength Running. We do this often, and we're also the most affordable group that you can join online. You can learn more about us at strengthrunning.com TSR. And I hope that when we open the doors next time, I can welcome you to our community. Finally, are you a runner that wants to get better? Maybe you want to race faster or get injured less frequently, maybe run further. 
probably. These are very common running goals. So you're going to love our sponsor, Inside Tracker. They test over 40 different biomarkers like stress hormones to determine if you're training too hard, too little, or have any kind of physiological weaknesses that might be remedied by either diet, exercise, or lifestyle. So in other words, you learn about some problems that then have actionable solutions. Inside Tracker uses blood testing to get this information, and then they communicate what you can do to lift or lower your results into your personalized optimal range. For now, for any runner who wants every advantage to see what they're truly capable of achieving, I highly recommend Inside Tracker. I am proud to promote and support them. And I'm not just a spokesman, I'm also a customer. Sorry, I've just always really wanted to say something like that. Okay, let's just finish up and say that they do great work, and I've had a really awesome experience with them last fall getting my own test and results. So head on over to insidetracker.com to check out all of their dis different testing kits. And don't forget, code STRENGTHRUNNING will save you 10% on any test that they have available. Thank you again for listening to the podcast, for being a crazy runner and doing what you do. I wouldn't be here without you. Until next time.